Section two of four science fiction stories by Alan E. Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bear Trap Part two. The Library of Congress had been moved when the threat of bombing in Washington had become acute. Shandor took a cab to Georgetown Airstrip, checked the fuel in the copter. Ten minutes later he started the motor, and headed upwind into the haze over the hills. In less than a half an hour he settled to the library landing field in western Maryland, and strode across to the rear entrance. The electronic cross-index had been the last improvement in the library since the war with China had started in 1958. Shander found a reading booth in one of the clothes on the second floor, and plugged in the index. The cold, metallic voice of the automatic chirped twice and said, "'Your reference, please.' Shander thought a moment. "'Give me your newspaper files on David Ingersoll, Secretary of State.' through which dates please start with the earliest reference and carry through to the current the speaker burped and he sat back waiting a small gate in the panel before him popped open and a small spool plopped out onto a spindle another followed and another he turned to the reader and reeled the first spool into the intake slot the light snapped on and he began reading spools continued to plop down he read for several hours taking a dozen pages of notes the references commenced in june 1961 with the small notice that david ingersoll republican from new jersey had been nominated to run for state senator before that date nothing chandra scowled searching for some item predating that one he found nothing Scratching his head, he continued reading, outlining chronologically Ingersoll's election to State Senate, then to the United States Senate. His rise to national prominence as economist for the post-war administrator of President Drayton in 1966. His meteoric rise as a peacemaker in a nation tired from endless dreary years of fighting in China and India his tremendous popularity as he tried to stall the reintensifying cold war with russia the first nobel peace prize in nineteen sixty nine for the ill-fated ingersoll plan for world sovereignty pages and pages and pages of newsprint shandor growled angrily surveying the pile of notes with a sinking feeling of incredulity the articles the writing the tone it was all too familiar Carefully he checked the newspaper sources. Some of the dispatches were Associated Press. Many came direct desk from Public Information Board in New York. Two other networks sponsored some of the wordage, but the tone was all the same. Finally, disgusted, Tom stuffed the notes into his briefcase and flipped down the librarian lever. Sources, please. A light blinked, and in a moment a buzzer sounded at his elbow. A female voice, quite human, spoke as he lifted the receiver. Can I help you on sources? Yes, I've been reading the newspaper files on David Ingersoll. I'd like the bylines on this copy. There was a moment of silence. Which dates, please? Shander read off his list, giving dates. The silence continued for several minutes as he waited impatiently. 
He was about to hang up and leave when the voice spoke up again. I'm sorry, sir. Most of that material has no byline. Except for one or two items, it's all staff written. By whom? I'm sorry. No sources available. Perhaps the PIB offices could help you. All right. Ring them for me, please. He waited another five minutes. Saw the PIB cross-index clerk appear on the video screen. Hello, Mr. Shander. Can I help you? I'm trying to trace down the names of the Associated Press and PIB writers who covered stories on David Ingersoll over a period from June 1961 to the present date. The girl disappeared for several moments. When she reappeared, her face was puzzled. Why, Mr. Shander, you've been doing all the work on Ingersoll from August 1978 to September 1982. We haven't closed the files on this last month yet. He scowled in annoyance. Yes, yes, I know that. I want the writers before I came. The clerk paused. Until you started your work there, there was no definite assignment. The information just isn't here. But the man you replaced in PIB was named Frank Mariel. Shander turned the name over in his mind, decided that it was familiar, but that he couldn't quite place it. What's this man doing now? The girl shrugged. I don't know, just now, and I have no sources. But according to our files, he left Public Information Board to go to work in some capacity for Dartmouth Bearing Corporation. Shandor flipped the switch and settled back in the reading chair. Once again he fingered through his notes, frowning, a doubt nine through his mind into certainty. He looked up a dozen of the stories analyzed them carefully, word for word, sentence by sentence. Then he sat back, his body tired, eyes closed in concentration, an incredible idea twisting and writhing and solidifying in his mind. It takes one to catch one. That was his job, telling lies. Writing stories that weren't true, and making them believable. Making people think one thing when the truth was something else. It wasn't so strange that he could detect exactly the same sort of thing when he ran into it. He thought it through again and again, and every time he came up with the same answer. There was no doubt. Reading the newspaper files had accomplished only one thing. He had spent the afternoon reading a voluminous, neat, smoothly written, extremely convincing batch of bold-faced lies lies about david ingersoll somewhere at the bottom of those lies was a shred or two of truth a shred hard to analyze impossible to segregate from the garbage surrounding it but somebody had written the lies that meant that somebody knew the truths behind them suddenly he galvanized into action the video blinked protestingly at his urgent summons and the Washington Visiphone operator answered. Somewhere in those listings of yours, Shander said, you've got a man named Frank Mariel. I want his number. He reached the downtown restaurant half an hour early and ducked into a nearby Visiphone station to ring Hart. The PIB director's chubby face materialized on the screen after a moment's confusion, and Shander said, John, what are your plans for releasing the Ingersoll story? The morning papers left him with a slight head cold, if I remember right. 
Try as he would, he couldn't conceal the edge of sarcasm in his voice. Hart scowled. How's the biography coming? The biography's coming along fine. I want to know what kind of quicksand I'm wading through, that's all. Hart shrugged and spread his hands. We can't break the story proper until you're ready with your buffer story. Current plans say that he gets pneumonia tomorrow and goes to Walter Reed tomorrow night. We're giving it as little emphasis as possible, running the Berlin conference stories for right-hand column stuff. That'll give you all day tomorrow and half the next day for the preliminary stories on his death, okay? That's not enough time. Shander's voice was tight. It's enough for a buffer release, Hart scowled at him, his round face red and annoyed. Look, Tom, you get that story in, and never mind what you like or don't like. This is dynamite you're playing with. The conference is going to be on the rocks in a matter of hours. That's straight from the undersecretary. And on top of it all, there's trouble down in Arizona. Shander's eyes widened. The rocket project? Hart's mouth twisted. Sabotage. They picked up the whole ring that's been operating for over a year. Caught them red-handed, but not before they burned out half the calculator wing. They'll have to move in new machines now before they can go on. Set the project back another week. And that could lose the war for us right there. Now get that story in. He snapped the switch down, leaving Shander blinking at the darkened screen. Ten minutes later, Anne Ingersoll joined him in the restaurant booth. She was wearing a chic white linen outfit, with her hair fresh, like a blonde halo around her head in the fading evening light. Her freshness contrasted painfully with Tom's curling collar and dirty tie, and he suddenly wished he'd picked up a shave. He looked up and grunted when he saw the fat briefcase under the girl's arm, and she dropped it on the table between them and sank down opposite him, studying his face. The reading didn't go well, she said. The reading went lousy, he admitted sheepishly. This the personal file? She nodded shortly and lit a cigarette. The works, they didn't even bother me, but I can't see why all the precaution. I mean, the express and all that. Shander looked at her sharply. If what you said this morning was true, that file's a gold mine for us, but more particularly for your father's enemies. I'll go over it closely when I get out of here. Meantime, there are one or two other things I want to talk over with you. She settled herself and grinned. Okay, boss, fire away. He took a deep breath and tiredness lined his face. First off, what did your father do before he went into politics? Her eyes widened, and she arrested the cigarette halfway to her mouth, put it back on the ashtray, with a puzzled frown on her face. That's funny, she said softly. I thought I knew, but I guess I don't. He was an industrialist, way, far back, years and years ago, when I was just a little brat. And then we got into the war with China, and I don't know what he did. He was always making business trips. I can remember going to the airport with Mother to meet him, but I don't know what he did. Mother always avoided talking about him, and I never got to see him enough to talk. Chandra sat forward, his eyes bright. Did he ever entertain any business friends during that time, any that you can remember? She shook her head. I can't remember. 
seems to me a man or two came home with him on a couple of occasions but i don't know who i don't remember much before the night he came home and said he was going to run for congress then there were people galore have been ever since and what about his work at the end of the china war after he was elected while he was doing all that work to try to smooth things out with russia can you remember him saying anything to you or to your mother about what he was doing and how she shook her head again oh yes he'd talk he and mother would talk sometimes argue i had the feeling that things weren't too well with mother and dad many times but i can't remember anything specific except that he used to say over and over how he hated the thought of another war he was afraid it was going to come shander looked up sharply but he hated it yes her eyes widened oh yes he hated it dad was a good man tom he believed with all his heart that the people of the world wanted peace and that they were being dragged to war because they couldn't find any purpose to keep them from it he believed that if the people of the world had a cause a purpose a driving force that there wouldn't be any more wars some men fought him for preaching peace but he wouldn't be swayed especially he hated the pure profit lobbies the patriotic drumbeaters who stood to get rich in a war but dad had to die and there aren't many men like him left now i guess i know shander fell silent stirring his coffee glumly tell me he said did your father have anything to do with a man named mariel Anne's eyes narrowed frank mariel he was the newspaper man yes dad had plenty to do with him he hated dad's guts because dad fought his writing so much mariel was one of the fight now and get rich school that were continually plaguing dad would you say that they were enemies she bit her lip wrinkling her brow in thought not at first more like a big dog with a little flea at first mariel's pestered dad and dad tried to scratch him away but mariel got into pib and then i suppose you could call them enemies shandor sat back frowning his face dark with fatigue he stared at the table-top for a long moment and when he looked up at the girl his eyes were troubled there's something wrong with this he said softly i can't quite make it out but it just doesn't look right those newspaper stories i read pure bourgeois from beginning to end i'm dead certain of it and yet he paused searching for words look it's like i'm looking at a jigsaw puzzle that looks like it's all completed and lying out on a table but there's something that tells me i'm being foxed that it isn't a complete puzzle at all just an illusion yet somehow i can't even tell for sure where pieces are missing the girl leaned over the table her gray eyes deep with concern tom she said almost in a whisper suppose there is something tom something big what's it going to do to you tom you can't fight anything as powerful as pib and these men that hated dad could break you tom grinned tiredly his eyes far away i know he said softly but a man can only swallow so much somewhere i guess i've still got a conscience it's a nuisance but it's still there he looked closely at the lovely girl across from him 
Maybe it's just that I'm tired of being sick of myself. I'd like to like myself for a change. I haven't liked myself for years. He looked straight at her, his voice very small in the still booth. I'd like some other people to like me, too, so I've got to keep going. Her hand was in his then, grasping his fingers tightly, and her voice was trembling. I didn't think there was anybody left like that, she said. Tom, you aren't by yourself, remember that. No matter what happens, I'm with you all the way. I'm, I'm afraid, but I'm with you. He looked up at her then, and his voice was tight. Listen, Anne, your father planned to go to Berlin before he died. What was he going to do if he went to the Berlin conference? She shrugged helplessly. The usual diplomatic folderol, I suppose. He always... No, no, that's not right. He wanted to go so badly that he died when he wasn't allowed to, Anne. He must have had something in mind, something concrete, something tremendous, something that would have changed the picture a great deal. And then she was staring at Shander, her face white, gray eyes wide. Of course he had something, she exclaimed. He must have. Oh, I don't know what. He wouldn't say what was in his mind. But when he came home after that meeting with the president, he was furious. I've never seen him so furious, Tom. He was almost out of his mind with anger, and he paced the floor and swore and nearly tore the room apart. He wouldn't speak to anyone, just stamped around and threw things. And then we heard him cry out, and when we got to him he was unconscious on the floor, and he was dead when the doctor came. She set her glass down with trembling fingers. He had something big, Tom, I'm sure of it. He had some information that he planned to drop on the conference table with such a bang it would stop the whole world cold. He knew something that the conference doesn't know. Tom Shandor stood up, trembling, and took the briefcase. It should be here, he said, if not the whole story, at least the missing pieces. He started for the booth door. Go home, he said. I'm going where I can examine these files without any interference. Then I'll call you. And then he was out the door, shouldering his way through the crowded restaurant, frantically weaving his way to the street. He didn't hear Anne's voice as she called him to stop, didn't see her stop at the booth door, watch a confusion of fear and tenderness, and collapse into the booth, sobbing as if her heart would break. Because a crazy, twisted, impossible idea was in his mind, an idea that had plagued him since he had started reading that morning, an idea with an answer, an acid test, folded in the briefcase under his arm. He bumped into a fat man at the bar, grunted angrily, and finally reached the street, whistled at the cab that lingered nearby. The car swung up before him, the door springing open automatically. He had one foot on the running board before he saw the trap, saw the tight yellowish face and the glittering eyes inside the cab. Suddenly there was an explosion of bright purple brilliance, and he was screaming, twisting and screaming and reeling backward onto the sidewalk, doubled over with agonizing fire that burned through his side and down one leg, forcing scream after scream from his throat as he blindly staggered to the wall of the building pounded it with his fist for relief from the searing pain. And then he was on his side on the sidewalk, sobbing, 
blubbering incoherently to the uniformed policeman who was dragging him gently to his feet seeing through burning eyes the group of curious people gathering round suddenly realization dawned through the pain and he let out a cry of anger and bolted for the curb knocking the policeman aside his eyes wild searching the receding stream of traffic for the cab a picture of the occupant burned indelibly into his mind a face he had seen recognized the cab was gone he knew gone like a breath of wind the briefcase was also gone he gave the address of the essex university hospital to the cabby and settled back in the seat gripping the handguard tightly to fight down the returning pain in his side and leg his mind was whirling fighting in a welter of confusion trying to find some avenue of approach some way to make sense of the mess the face in the cab recurred again and again before his eyes the gaunt putty-coloured cheeks the sharp glittering eyes his acquaintance with frank mariel had been brief and unpleasant in the past but that was a face he would never forget but how could mariel have known where he would be and when there was precision in that attack far too smooth precision to have been left to chance or even to independent planning his mind skirted the obvious a dozen times and each time rejected it angrily finally he knew he could no longer reject the thought the only possible answer mariel had known where he would be and at what time therefore someone must have told him he stiffened in the seat the pain momentarily forgotten only one person could have told mariel only one person knew where the file was and where it would be after he left the restaurant he felt cold bitterness creep down his spine she had known and sat there making eyes at him and telling him how wonderful he was how she was with him no matter what happened and she'd already sold him down the river he shook his head angrily trying to keep his thoughts on a rational plane why why had she strung him along why had she even started to help him and why above all turn against her own father the hospital driveway crunched under the cab and he hopped out wincing with every step and walked into a phone booth off the lobby he gave a name and in a moment heard the pa system echoing it dr prex calling dr prex in a moment he heard a receiver click off and a familiar voice said prex speaking prex this is shander got a minute the voice was cordial dozens of them where are you i'll be up in your quarters shander slammed down the receiver and started for the elevator to the resident physician's wing he let himself in by a key and settled down in the darkened room to wait an eternity before a tall gaunt man walked in snapped on a light and loosened the white jacket at his neck he was a young man no more than thirty with a tired sober face and jet black hair falling over his forehead his eyes lighted as he saw shandor and he grinned you look like you've been through the mill what happened shandor stripped off his clothes exposing the angry red of the seared skin the tall man whistled softly the smile fading carefully he examined the burned area his fingers gentle on the tender surface then he turned troubled eyes to shandor 
you've been messing around with dirty guys tom nobody but a real dog would turn a scalder on a man he went to a cupboard returned with a jar of salve and bandages is it serious shander's face was deathly white i've been fighting shock with thiamin for the last hour but i don't think i can hold out much longer prex shrugged you didn't get enough to do any permanent damage if that's what you mean just fried the pain receptors in your skin to a crisp is all a little dose is so painful you can't do anything but holler for a while but it won't hurt you permanently unless you get it all over you enough can kill you he dressed the burned areas carefully then bared shander's arm and used a pressure syringe for a moment who's using one of those things shander was silent for a moment then he said look prex i need some help badly his eyes looked up in dull anger i'm going to see a man tonight and i want him to talk hard and fast i don't care right now if he nearly dies from pain but i want him to talk i need somebody along who knows how to make things painful prex scowled and then pointed to the burn this the man that's the man prex put away the salve i suppose i'll help you then is this official or a grudge a little of both look prex i know this is a big favor to ask but it's on the level believe me it's square nothing shady about it the method may not be legal but the means are justified i can't tell you what's up but i am asking you to trust me prex grinned you say it's all right it's all right when shander glanced at his watch about three this morning i think we can take your car they talked for a while and a call took the doctor away shander slept a little then made some black coffee shortly before three the two men left the hospital by the physician's entrance and prex's little beat-up dartmouth slid smoothly into the desultory traffic for the suburbs the apartment was small and neatly furnished shander and the doctor had been admitted by a sleepy doorman who had been jolted to sudden attention by tom's pib card and after five minutes pounding on the apartment door a sleepy-eyed man opened the door a crack say what's the idea of pounding on a man's door at this time of night haven't you shander gave the door a shove with his shoulder driving it open into the room shut up he said bluntly he turned so the light struck his face the little man's jaw dropped in astonishment shandor he whispered frank muriel looked like a weasel sallow sunken-cheeked with a yellowish cast to his skin that contrasted unpleasantly with the coal-black hair that's right said shandor we've come for a little talk meet the doctor muriel's eyes shifted momentarily to prex's stony face then back to shandor ghosts of fear creeping across his face what do you want i've come for the files the little man scowled you've come to the wrong man i don't have any files prex carefully took a small black case from his pocket unsnapped a hinge and a small shiny instrument fell out in his hand the files said shander who has them i-i don't know shander smashed a fist into the man's face viciously knocking him reeling to the floor you tried to kill me tonight he snarled you should have done it upright 
you should stick to magazine editing and keep your nose out of dirty games mariel who has the files mariel picked himself up trembling met chander's fist and sprawled again a trickle of blood appearing at his mouth harry dartmouth has the files he groaned they're probably in chicago now what do you know about harry dartmouth mariel gained a chair this time before chander hit him i've only met him a couple of times he's the president of dartmouth bearing corporation and he's my boss dartmouth bearing publishes fighting world i do what he tells me chander's eyes flared including murder is that right mariel's eyes were sullen come on talk why did dartmouth want ingersoll's personal files the man just stared sullenly at the floor prex pressed a stud on the side of the shiny instrument and a purple flash caught mariel's little finger mariel jerked and squealed with pain speak up said chander i didn't hear you probably about the bonds mariel whimpered his face was ashen and he eyed prex with undistinguished pleading look tell him to put that thing away chander grinned without humor you don't like scalders eh get a big dose and you're dead mariel but i guess you know that don't you think about it but don't think too long what about the bonds ingersoll has been trying to get dartmouth bearing corporation on legal grounds for years something about the government bonds they held bought during the china wars you know surplus profits dartmouth bearing could beat the taxes by buying bonds harry dartmouth thought ingersoll's file had some legal dope against him he was afraid you'd try to make trouble for the company so he hired this little pixie eh seems to me you've had enough on your hands editing that rag mariel shot him an injured look fighting world has the second largest magazine circulation in the country it's a good magazine it's a warmonger propaganda rag snapped chandor he glared at the little man what's your relation to ingersoll i hated his guts he was carrying his lily-livered passism right to the white house and i couldn't see it so i fought him every inch of the way i'll fight what he stands for now he's dead chander's eyes narrowed that was a mistake mariel you weren't supposed to know he is dead he walked over to the little man whose face was a shade whiter yet funny said chander quietly you say you hated him but i didn't get that impression at all mariel's eyes opened wide what do you mean everything you wrote for the pib seems to have treated him kindly a shadow of deep concern crossed mariel's face as though for the first time he found himself in deep water pib told me what to write and i wrote it you know how they work yes i know how they work i also know that most of your writing while you were doing public information board work was never ordered by pib ever hear of ben chamberlain mariel or frank eberhardt or john harding ever hear of them mariel chander's voice cut sharply through the room ben chamberlain wrote for a very large circulation magazine in the country after the chinese war frank eberhardt was the man behind associated press during those years john harding was the silent publisher of three newspapers in washington two in new york and one in chicago ever hear of those men mariel no no you know damned well you've heard of them because those men were all you every single one of them 
Shander was standing close to him now, and Mariel sat like he had seen a ghost, his lower lip quivering, forehead wet. No, no, you're wrong. No, no, I'm right, mocked Shandor. I've been in the newspaper racket for a long time, Mariel. I've got friends in PIB, real friends. Not the Shamus crowd you're acquainted with that'll take you for your last nickel and then leave you to starve. Never mind how I found out. You hated Ingersoll so much you handed him bouquets all the time. How about it, Mariel? All that writing. You couldn't praise him enough. Boosting him, beating the drum for him and his policies. Every trick and gimmick known in the propaganda game to give him a boost. Make him the people's darling. How about it? Mariel was shaking his head, his little eyes nearly popping with fright. It wasn't him, he choked. Ingersoll had nothing to do with it. It was Dartmouth bearing. They bought me into the spots. Got me the newspapers, supported me. Dartmouth bearing ran the whole works, and they told me what to write. Garbage! Dartmouth bearing, the biggest munitions people in America, and I'm supposed to believe that they told you to go to bat for the country's strongest pacifist. What kind of sap do you take me for? It's true, Ingersoll had nothing to do with it, nothing at all. Muriel's voice was almost pleading. Look, I don't know what Dartmouth Baring had in mind. Who was I to ask questions? You don't realize their power, Shandor. Those bonds I spoke of, they hold millions of dollars worth of bonds. They hold enough bonds to topple the economy of the nation. They've got bonds in the names of ten thousand subsidiary companies. They've been telling Federal Economics Commission what to do for the past ten years. And they're getting us into this war, Shander. Lock, stock, and barrel. They pushed for everything they could get, and they had the money, the power, the men to do whatever they wanted. You couldn't fight them, because they had everything sewed up so tight nobody could approach them. Shander's mind was racing, the missing pieces beginning, suddenly, to come out of the haze. The incredible, twisted idea broke through again, staggering him, driving through his mind like icy steel. Listen, Mariel, I swear I'll kill you if you lie to me, so you'd better tell the truth. Who put you on my trail? Who told you Ingersoll was dead, and that I was scraping up Ingersoll's past? The little man twisted his hands, almost in tears. Harry Doutmouth told me. And who told Harry Darkmouth? Mariel's voice was so weak it could hardly be heard. The girl, he said. Shander felt the chill deepen. And where are the files now? Dartmouth has them. Probably in Chicago. I expressed them. The girl didn't dare send them direct, for fear you would check, or that she was being watched. I was supposed to pick them up from you, and see to it that you didn't remember. Shander clinched his fist. Where are Dartmouth's plants located? The main plants are in Chicago and Newark. They've got a smaller one in Nevada. And what do they make? In peacetime, cars. In wartime, they make tanks and shells. And their records, inventories, shipping orders and files. Where do they keep them? I, I don't know. You aren't thinking of. Never mind what I'm thinking of. Just answer up. Where are they? All the administration offices are in Chicago. But they'd kill you, Shander. You wouldn't stand a chance. 
They can't be fought, I tell you. Shander nodded to Prex and started for the door. Keep him here until dawn, then go on home and forget what you heard. If anything happens, give me a ring at my home. He glared at Mariel. Don't worry about me, bud. They won't be doing anything to me when I get through with them. They just won't be doing anything at all. The idea had crystallized as he talked to Mariel. Shander's mind was whirling as he walked down toward the thoroughfare. Incredulously, he tried to piece the picture together. He had known dart mouth bearing was big, but that big? Mariel might have been talking nonsense, or he might have been reading the gospel. Shander hailed a cab, sat in the back seat scratching his head. How big could Dartmouth Bering be? Could any corporation be that big? He thought back, remembering the rash of post-war scandals and profit-gouging trials, the antitrust trials. In wartime, bars are let down. No one can look with disfavor on the factories making the weapons. And if one corporation could buy and expand, and buy some more, it might be too powerful to be prosecuted after the war. Shander shook his head, realizing he was skirting the big issue. Dartmouth Bering connected up, in some absurd fashion, but there was a missing link. Mariel fit into one side of the puzzle, interlocking with Dartmouth. The stolen files might even fit, for that matter. But the idea grew stronger. A great jagged piece in the middle of the puzzle was missing, the key piece which would tie everything together. He felt his skin prickle as he thought. An impossible idea, and yet, he realized, if it were true, everything else would fall clearly into place. He sat bold upright. It had to be true. He leaned forward and gave the cabbie the landing field address, then sat back feeling his pulse pounding through his arms and legs. Nervously, he switched on the radio. The dial fell to some jazz music, which he tolerated for a moment or two, then flipped to a news broadcast. Not that news broadcasts really meant much, but he wanted to hear the Ingersoll story release for the day. He listened impatiently to a roundup of local news. David Ingersoll stricken with pneumonia, three senators protesting the current tax bill. He brought his attention around sharply at the sound of a familiar name. Disappearing from his Chicago home early this morning, Mr. Dartmouth is president of Dartmouth Bearing Corporation, currently engaged in the manufacture of munitions for defense, and producing much of the machinery being used at the moon rocket in Arizona. Police are following all possible leads, and are confident that there has been no foul play. On the international scene, the Kremlin is still blocking. Shander snapped off the radio abruptly, his forehead damp. Dartmouth disappeared, and with him the files. Why? And where to go now to find them? If the idea that was plaguing him was true, sound valid, he'd have to have the files. His whole body was wet with perspiration as he reached the landing field. The trip to the Library of Congress seemed endless, yet he knew that the library wouldn't be open until eight o'clock anyway. Suddenly he felt a wave of extreme weariness sweep over him. When had he last slept? Bored, he snapped the telephone switch and rang PIB offices for his mail. To his surprise, 
John Hart took the wire and exploded in his ear. Where in the hell have you been? I've been trying to get you all night. Listen, Tom, drop the Ingersoll story cold and get in here. The faster, the better. Shander blinked. Drop the story. You're crazy. Get in here, roared Hart. From now on, you've really got a job. The Berlin conference blew up tonight, Tom. High as a kite. We're at war with Russia. Carefully, Shander popped the receiver down on its hook, his hands like ice. Just one item first, he thought. Just one thing I've got to know. Then back to the PIB, maybe. He found a booth in the library and began hunting, time pressing him into frantic speed. The idea was incredible, but it had to be true. He searched the microfilm files for three hours before he found it, in a who's who, dating back to 1958, three years before the war with China. A simple, innocuous listing, which froze him to his seat. He read it unbelievingly, yet knowing that it was the only possible link. Finally he read it again. David P. Ingersoll, born 1922, married 1947. Educated at Rutgers University and MIT. Worked as administrator for the International Harvester until 1955. Taught Harvard University from 1955 to 1957. David P. Ingersoll, becoming, in 1958, the executive president of Dartmouth Bearing Corporation. End of Section 2